and welcome to Series 2, Episode 4 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, folks. Matt Body. Hey. Producer Alice. Hi. And no Mark Stockley. He's out this week on holiday. Coming up on today's show, Duck talks about iPhone holes. I'll be talking about romance scams. And Matt talks about Android malware. What have you been up to this week, guys? I've got obsessed with storage. Oh. Yeah, I've been putting shelves up left, right and centre. I've been putting holes in walls that don't end up being shelves and <laughs> my walls end up like a big so switch is this a cheese. metaphor for network attached storage and holes in your firewall no nothing so technical oh. i've just been putting up physical shelves and storing lots of stuff in boxes and apparently ikea is extremely extremely addictive as alan key body Alan Keybody, exactly. Has your robot Hoover been helping with? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Any drill, any holes that I'm drilling, he Skips comes along up. afterwards and swoops up that. Is it, extra... is it he? Is he? Has he got a name? Yeah, Yuffie. I shouldn't give away the name of a product that may well be vulnerable <laughs> because I didn't go for a major brand. <laughs> <laughs> Not wealthy enough. <laughs> Duck. I have been getting at least vaguely interested in DNS over HTTPS to see how well it performs at home compared to regular DNS. And so far, I haven't noticed any difference. No. Uh, we've been on Twitter this week. I'm, I'm taking in the reins for Mark. Um, we posted our animation of us chatting about Clippy, um, and it turns out it's not as hated as we thought, um, or as you thought, Derek. Well, no, I, I didn't, didn't think it was hated. I just was surprised that anyone liked it. It's not quite the same thing. Quite a few people said that they liked it, though, Teresa... Teresa. Oh, Teresa said yes, she liked Teresa. Clippy. You liked that it. Overly helpfully. I love t- t- Clippy you and love Teresa. Clippy. Love Clippy. Yeah. Okay. Teresa's, Teresa is brilliant and T- she knows everything there is to know and she's got it absolutely hit the nail on the head. She said, I liked Clippy, that overly helpful little guy from years gone by. There you go. Teresa said it and she's that's a- how it is. May said, Clippy always had my back and included a gif of him asking if she wanted to save document one. <laughs> Michael Curtis, also another friend of the show, uh, yeah. said Microsoft should have called Cortana Clippy so we could, we could all say, hey, Clippy. Oh, that would have been such a good idea. What a move that would have been. Be great. Duck, are you going to are you gonna offer an opinion on Clippy or are you too disgusted with us all? I, no, I didn't hate Clippy. I just <laughs> couldn't see the point of it. It was just, it was like that, that, that little waggy dog they used to have. Was that before Clippy? Yeah. I think you I could forget. select them all at the same uh, Rover. Rover, was it? I Rover? think you could select them all. You could choose which one you wanted. Could you have them both? Could they? Could you have them together? Like, oh, to compete. Do you want to see the document? Maybe. No, yes, no, yes, no, no, maybe. I think that might have been too advanced. Oh, okay. The other thing we asked is which one of these would you give up at work if it meant you could keep the other three? Stack Overflow, coffee, headphones, or breathing? Coffee. You'd give up coffee. Oh, come on. Duck I would know. never do that. Duck wouldn't do no, that. You're, yeah. you're very big on coffee. Stack Overflow. Like if I want fan. to, if I want to read lots of opinions that clash with one another, you'd be right, Dutch. Stack Overflow is so useful. What people want to give up? Stack, stack Overflow. Thirty-eight yeah. percent. They'd rather stack keep overflow. coffee, breathing, and headphones. But why do like, you need breathing that much? Breathing was the most popular. Fifteen percent. I mean, the you know the most popular the one least to not give up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's how you have to put it. <laughs> the one that people did not want to give up. It's understandable. I thought coffee would come at the bottom. But, surprisingly, you have to breathe to be able to drink. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. There you go. Duck, we've been talking this week about iPhone remote control holes. We we have. Shall we panic? Uh, No. 
of course, you need to remember that it's kind of the the week after the week before, which was DEFCON and Black Hat, and that means that there's an awful lot of stuff that could have been disclosed before but wasn't because it was part of a Black Hat presentation. You have to keep that stuff to yourself if you're going to present it, understandably. So the aftermath of Black Hat is all the, all the decent presentations get a lot of PR afterwards. And this one was by a Google Project Zero researcher, uh, called Natalie Silvanovich. She's quite well known in the in in, in Google Project Zero mobile phone uh, malware analysis and bug finding, if you like. Uh, she, together with a colleague by the name of Samuel Gross, uh, decided that they wanted to look into the what you might call the attack surface of iOS or of mobile devices. Um, the 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 paper focuses on Apple's iOS. And it, it, that wasn't that they decided that because they're from Google, they'd look at the, the competition. They looked at, at, at all phones and it was iOS that got their interest. And they were figuring what sort of attack surface do you have in your phone when it's just when it's kind of sitting there, if you like, minding its own business. I love this. So Android's not in the spotlight. I think it will be in a minute, though, Matt, when you talk <laughs> yes. about that subject. <laughs> yes, well, you're going to be talking about that, aren't you, with the uh, Google Project Zero looking at Android. So it's not that they it's not that they chose Apple because Apple's the competition. It's just that because mobile phones are everywhere and there is an issue that people tend to think of mobile phones as, well, they're not servers. I'm not running a web server. I'm not running a mail server. I'm not running a database server. I'm not keeping customer data on it necessarily. So I'm not vulnerable to the same sort of, well, I'll connect to your device and try and hack it. Um, so what they wanted to see is, is there nevertheless a way that crooks can essentially invade your phone, even though we generally think of our phones as clients in the client-server network relationship? And they did indeed find a number of uh, essentially zero-day holes in iOS, which they disclosed to Apple and which got patched. And the point of us writing about on Naked Security was, A, to explain how a phone can put you at risk even when it's just sitting there idling and also to urge you if you do have an iPhone or any phone at all for that matter patches are important because there's no reason to be behind the crooks when you can be ahead there's one bug that they haven't disclosed yet isn't there that's correct my understanding is that they they found eight flaws or so they've come out with details about them now they've been fixed but one of them they have it seems they've given apple a bit more time because apple did fix it but they're not convinced that the fix actually patches the entire problem so i presume in the next update from apple we'll see the same cve tag um being mentioned again and being fixed for a second time yeah and you can understand that you know you you you, you, when you're producing a patch for a vulnerability that somebody has disclosed, then there's always the risk that the patch might need a patch. And it looks here as though Apple maybe were a little bit conservative about how much they changed, and therefore it does indeed look like, well, the patch, it's not that the patch introduced a new hole, it's just that the Project Zero people seem to think it didn't close the hole in its entirety. So understandably, they're, they're not yep. telling everybody because that might be a step too far. And so what should people do? How do they check if they've got the latest version? On an iPhone, it's pretty easy. Go to Settings, General, Software Update. That's all you need to do. When you go there, it will call home to Apple. It will compare the version of iOS on your phone against the one that Apple currently has. And what you should see is you are running whatever it is, 12.4, you're up to date, which is just one line. Otherwise, you'll see it, that cog icon. It'll say an update's available. Here it is. Do you want to download it? So even if you've got 
update automatically turned on on your iPhone or if you've got an Android phone on your Android, it's worthwhile going and doing a manual update check once in a while just to make sure that nothing has gone wrong. Right. Because in a case like this, with these bugs fixed that are what, what are known as fully remotable holes, the crooks, if they knew these, theoretically could wander in at will, you might as well be ahead. There's no point in being behind, otherwise you're just the low-hanging fruit. Cool. Thanks, Doug. And uh, Apple have uh, announced it's it's upped its bug bounty, hasn't it? Yes, I I I, I don't know. Whether, I, I I doubt there's any particular relationship here. In fact, I think uh, the 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 guy in charge of this aspect of Apple's security on iOS, um, Ivan Kristich, uh, you may remember him. He 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 became well known through the one lap top per child program a decade or so ago. Um, he also gave a presentation at Black Hat at the same time as the Google people were disclosing bugs saying, well, we're, we're kind of entering a brave new world at Apple where we're actually going to offer you a bit bigger bug bounties. So apparently you could get up to a million dollars now which is pretty much what third-party companies were offering before to buy these things from you without disclosing them to Apple. And the other thing that is, which I'm quite intrigued about that Apple have done they're going to open the security kimono a little bit for trusted researchers right and it's going to be possible that you don't have to be a a, a signed up dyed in the wool apple employee to get access to a kind of semi jailbroken or developer's phone apparently they're going to be available to trusted outsiders so they won't be fully jailbroken fully open analyze any bite of anything you want phones but my understanding that amongst other things that it's a kind of semi jailbroken phone where you will be able to do things like freeze the phone and then examine memory right obviously that's that's controversial for end user phones because an in an important part of mobile phone security is that if a crook steals it when it's locked, they shouldn't be able to freeze it and put a probe on it and suck out what's in memory. But when you're doing security research, for example, if you're probing for an exploit, it's very useful to be able to to allow the phone to do a little bit of the operation that you're looking at and to see what's going on. In other words, that way you can see whether it's mishandling data you've sent um, rather than that later on you realise something went wrong but you can't quite put your finger on what it was. So it looks as though Apple, you know, they, they, they've, they seem to have updated the speed at which new updates come out over the last few years. They've now upped their bug bounty and they're going to be providing a, a, a better way for external third-party researchers to get a little more ability to look inside Apple devices without having to jump through as many hoops as they had to in the past. So I think that's good news for everybody, really. Great. It's, it's a bit of a no-brainer for them, really, isn't it? Because if they release this this platform for third parties to be able to find vulnerabilities on their, plat on their phones then it means that they don't have to invest internally in those researchers to be able to look into those vulnerabilities. They're getting free outside advice. Mm. Well, not free, but they're getting outside advice. If not it comes, free if they're paying a million dollars for it. If it comes but, to nothing, then it's free. But if if they find something, then the, 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 the researcher gets handsomely rewarded and, and uh, they get to patch a vulnerability that could have otherwise cost them a reputation. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, there's a sense of, well, we would say this because we work for a cybersecurity company, but it is it is nice when uh, operating system vendors kind of invite third-party independent software vendors sort of into the tent a little bit more 
to work together on looking into security problems yeah. rather than relying on just doing black box testing. And there is a school of thought that says that Apple were kind of between a rock and a hard place on this one because, after all, there have been cases in the past where where supposedly there's been a grey market for these for internal Apple phones where they've leaked out or someone's managed to steal one or slip it out of the company and sell it. Uh, and also, you know, there, there are tricks that people have done by, by buying phones and opening them up and fiddling with them that have given them partial access. So maybe Apple have figured, you know what, if people are going to do a half-baked technique that gets them halfway towards having a semi-jailbroken phone anyway, we might as well help them do it properly because the results will probably be better, more accurate and more useful and easier to obtain in the long run. So yeah. I guess that's where it's come from. It's a sort of, uh, you know, a what's good for the goose is good for the gander sort of situation. Yeah, control the situation rather than let it just sort of happen anyway, but be completely uncontrolled by their ecosystem. Indeed. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. I've got a question for you guys. Go on then. Have you ever tried online dating? Yep. Yeah, have you, <laughs> how, do you, how do you think Matt and I got oh, to know each other? Oh, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> I tried... I tried, I won't mention the site because the bug's long fixed. It was a, a well-known dating site that used HTTPS for everything except fetching images. Right. So somebody sitting in the coffee shop next to you, in theory, could see the images of the people that you were, I nearly said swiping left or right on, but I managed to stop myself in time. I think that you can do that um, on a, more than one uh, app now. The good news is that bug was fixed, but you know, it's interesting yeah. that, that you do put a lot of trust in the apps that go with dating sites yeah. because you are sharing an awful lot of data, even if it's just the images of people that you've looked at, that says something about you that could be useful to someone else. Yeah. So, Matt, how did you know that the pe people you were talking to were who they said they were? Because um, uh, they look good in their pictures, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, there's a photo. Like, how, I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Talking of what I, Duck oh, said, though, I, I, did a, I did the same sort of thing. I was looking into an app and found, found that it was posting everything via HTTP. I think the days of that are kind of gone now where people use HTTP yeah. instead of HTTPS to share your pictures. But you got a good result out of those guys, didn't you? Yeah, you I you mailed them, them and said, hey, I just noticed this. And yeah. Oh, thanks. And the next time you looked, they'd fixed it. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You can't... Good yeah. result. Yeah, That's exactly. Um, so the FBI issued a warning last week about romance scams or confidence scams, as they're now called, I guess, because it's not necessarily related to romance. But this was particularly around people be, being recruited as ma money mules. Um, so how do romance scams happen in general? Well, scammers meet their victim online and they get chatting and they work to establish their victim's trust sometimes over months and months and then they hit them with a request for money so maybe they've had a terrible injury in a far off land and they need money to get home or maybe they need money for a plane ticket to visit the victim and then surprise surprise they don't turn up um, and the FBI said anyone is a target but they often go after the elderly widows or widowers and women <laughs> which is weird yeah. so like vulnerable people and women um, it's big business. So in 2017, over 15,000 people filed a romance scam complaint with the IC3, which is the Internet Com Crime Complaint Centre, which is a part of the FBI. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. IC3.gov, by the way, yep. very useful website if you're in the US and you wish to report an electronic crime. So it's 15,000 people in 2017, but in 2018 it was 18,000 with a total loss of $362 million estimating. Wow. So that's, that's a lot. Yeah. So the latest type of scam which they've been warning about is money muling, which is where the victim is convinced to move money around for someone, oftening, often by opening bank accounts in their own name. Um, the accounts are then used for criminal activities, which 
when they're flagged by the bank, they'll, the account will either be closed or the victim will be convinced to open a new account or the scammer will just move on to their next victim. And I guess technically then that's moving the scam from the, the romance bit yeah. builds up the trust. The dating site is where you tend to reveal things about yourself, mm. like photos anyway. You're probably a little, you're not thinking about money. Well, the example that they've given, one example from the IC3 is that the scammer claims to be a European citizen or an American living abroad. After a few months of developing trust, like you were saying, the scammer takes a, tells the victim about a lucrative business opportunity. Their investors willing to fund the project, they say, but they just need a US bank account to receive funds. The victim's asked to open the bank account or register a limited liability company in their own name. Then they're asked to receive and send money from that account to other accounts controlled by the actor. So basically you could get yourself into serious trouble. Yeah. So this isn't a replacement for old school romance games, no. right? Where they say, oh, send us money for the plane ticket. Oh, I need money for the visa, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. It's just a different twist where they're using the dating site to build up trust, to learn stuff about you. And then instead, in this case, instead of saying, oh, can you send me money? They're saying, oh, well, we want to... It's almost like you're becoming an employee of theirs and you process money but yeah. you don't ask too many questions about where it came from. Yeah. And then you send some money on to the crooks, presumably by wire transfer, which means transactions that can't be reversed. Yeah. So if the balloon goes up, bad luck. The transactions can be reversed out of your account. Yeah. So you lose money, but you can't get your money back from the person who turns out not to be your romantic friend after all. Exactly. And I guess this is different in that this you're actually committing a crime in that you're kind of money laundering, right? whereas... Uh, with the traditional romance scams, you're just a victim. Yeah, you're you're giving money to somebody that you think is a friend, yeah. which is not a. You're allowed to give money to whom you like, I believe, provided that you you're not doing it knowingly to support some criminal enterprise. Yeah. But in this case, I think it's a question of the romance scam is the way the person gets your trust, and that means that maybe you feel ill at ease asking too many questions about where the money's coming from. Yeah. Presumably they tell you, well, it's a legitimate business. Uh, we just can't open a bank account in your country because we're not there. Yeah. So all you're doing is you're kind of our, I'm making air quotes here, accountant. Yeah. You're processing the funds, sending the money on to us. Maybe you even get to keep a bit of it. Yeah. So it's almost like the romance scam reversed. Instead yeah. of sending out money, you're actually earning money. And these guys are convincing, so maybe you wouldn't even think, you know, if they're targeting vulnerable people, they're not necessarily going to be suspicious at all if these guys are good enough, which you should be. No, and I guess people are, people have learned to be suspicious of emails that come out of the blue saying, yeah. would, you like a, would you like a job processing money for us? And you go, no, of course not. Yeah. But if the person's, if you, if you kind of got some emotional connection with the person that yep. they've spent three months building exactly up, then you're much more inclined perhaps to start with a hundred bucks here a thousand bucks there yeah my understanding is that some people can actually get stitched up for hundreds of thousands of dollars or even more yeah it's crazy amounts yeah so some tips that the fbi and um we've also offered are don't believe what you read so if someone's the old classic if someone seems too good to be true they probably are um, and use your best judgment because these people are cunning as we said one of the tips which we which the fbi offered is that if they immediately try and take you off the platform onto another messaging service be wary but we don't necessarily agree with that do we matt you're the uh, experienced online data yeah. <laughs> what, so what, i did i did meet my girlfriend through a dating application ah and i think 
when you're on a dating application, you quite often want to come off of that dating application. Yeah. To be able to carry on talking with that person, because firstly, you can get some social media details off of them, so you can verify that their social media hasn't been created two minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, you get you you may get some sort of verification that they do actually have a number, and it's a British number, or if you're in Britain, yeah, or if you're in America, it's an American number. It's yeah. not somewhere in the Middle East or something. Um, and then that number would be associated with social media accounts and they'd have a picture on on WhatsApp or whatever other platform so you can verify that it is them. Um, so or it just it makes you feel more confident about the person that you're talking to is actually real and yeah. you can do I your own I verification on I think I get where the them. FBI is coming from there because my understanding is in many of these cases where the crooks meet you in what you might call social network environment X, Instead of letting you drift off to Y or Z, so, you know, they say they meet you on Tinder and then you say, well, let's start talking on WhatsApp slash Instagram slash Twitter. Look at my Facebook page. My understanding is very frequently they'll say, look, actually, I've got something. You know, they start making it really private really soon. Yeah. And then what they want to do is they want you to move off social networking, the the more public platforms entirely. Yeah. And then they want to talk to you entirely by email and warn you, by the way, I've got this great opportunity coming up. Don't tell your buddies. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell your family. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. So they would say, it's not that they're saying don't use other platforms. It's be very wary if the only conduit you've got to them is one where they control the information you receive. Like when you go and look up their phone number, if the only way you've got to find it is an email they sent you with a phone Mm. number in it, then it's kind of going to say exactly what they want to. So I get the point of the warning. But I, I agree with Matt that there's an awful lot you can learn about someone if you go looking for them in a way that they don't control. Like, yeah. you know, where are they on social media? What do they do? Where do they work? Are they on LinkedIn? All of that stuff. You can actually, you, you can quickly get a picture of whether that person really is who they claim to be by seeing whether it all adds up. Yeah. But if they take you somewhere very private right away and they control the conversation, yeah. then it then they might say, yeah, well, that was a fake profile. I deliberately created that. You know, in other words, they've, they've got an answer to every question yeah. suddenly when it's only you and them talking. So I get the point of that one. Yeah. And I have actually met my, my girlfriend as well. I just want to clarify. <laughs> We've met now. <laughs> We know each other quite well. That's why you're doing the storage solutions. Yeah, that's why we're now creating storage together. <laughs> so many shelves. Um, another thing, if they're asking for money, obviously don't give them cash. It's probably unlikely. Matt, did your girlfriend ask you to uh, send her cash early no, on? No, no, yet, yet to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's one way of uh, being suspicious. If someone starts asking you to send them cash... Don't give them your credit card details. Don't give them your bank account. Don't give them your social security number or any PII they don't need. Absolutely. If you're processing funds for somebody else, yeah. then you kind of are their employee. Yeah. If, you don't, if you've never met them and they're just sending you money, you do have to ask yourself, where do I think that money comes from? Yeah. And if there are all these glib explanations, you don't necessarily have to believe them. Yeah. You know? Although my understanding is these guys come up with, with you know, they'll come up with fake invoices and receipts and all sorts of forged documents that make it, that do tend to make it look quite legitimate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if in doubt, then ask someone else whom you trust, whom you've known for longer. Yeah. Because they may be able to, you know, with a second eye on it, they may be able to yeah. to spot things that you you have willingly overlooked. You can also do a reverse image search, can't you, on Google? So 
as well as checking them out on social media, LinkedIn, WhatsApp, you can take the photo that you've got of them and put it into Google and then you can check where the photo out appears online. Of course, they you have to assume that they did exactly this. If they borrowed someone else's image, which is yeah. very common, and somebody else's persona, you have to assume that they did exactly the same. Yeah, but so they, they know what's going to come up. But you're right. You but know. it's possible that they could be linked to other scams. You know, it could turn up something. Absolutely. In other it's words, worth trying. It, yeah, the, the point is that that if you're relying only on information that they tell you about themselves, yep. then there's you've got no verification. Then you've you're trust you're trusting that person and only that person. So they can use the internet against you, if you like. Again, I'm making air quotes. You might as well use it to make sure, if you're uncertain, that they're telling the truth about themselves because so many people don't. Yep. You find out a lot of that about people before you, you move on to a second platform on social media as well, or, or on, sorry, dating apps as well. So I think before I met up with anybody on a dating platform, I'd have found their social media platforms. I would have found any like anything they'd written about before on Google. You'd search for like universities they'd gone through and found out if they're there. Bit of stalking. I seem like a creep at the moment. <laughs> but you've got, to, so you've got to stalk someone just to make sure they are real and not... not yeah. Because you, you go to quite a lot of effort to meet up with someone spending an evening with them and it's, it's weird if you meet up with them and they're not like who they pretend to be on yeah. a dating platform. Don't want to be catfished. Which has happened. Do you? I have been catfished. <laughs> <laughs> if you've fallen victim, then obviously report it. Our article, which Alice will helpfully put in the show notes for us, um, will be uh, tells you where you can report it according to where you are in the world. Yes. And obviously keep an eye on your friends and relatives, especially those you think might be vulnerable. Yeah, and sadly, be prepared for a rebuff. If you really think that someone close to you is being manipulated by someone in a romance scam, it is a difficult conversation to have with them because obviously they will have been forewarned. Hey, your family will try and get involved. They'll try and, you know, the, the usual, the whole Romeo and Juliet situation yeah. may arise. So, you know, don't, don't, don't steam in and just diss the person right away, but do be prepared for a tricky ride if you try and counsel someone where you think it's pretty obvious they're being scammed. Yeah. But stick to your guns because, as you've said, what was it, $320 million? 326, yeah. In the last year alone. Mm. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. I may have to just go out of the room and check my bank account transactions. <laughs> have you been sharing <laughs> your girlfriend. PII again? Yeah, yeah. Do we have a shared bank account? No, we're okay. <laughs> um, Matthew. Yes? Google's warned that... I like I was in trouble then. <laughs> yeah, I've never called are. Matthew. Matthew. I've never called my mum when I'm in trouble. <laughs> Matthew, Google's warned that many Android phones are preloaded, coming preloaded with malware. That is right. Is that because Android isn't as good as iPhone? <laughs> no, no, it's not. So Ooh, this is. <laughs> I, I like the way this is going. <laughs> fight, fight, so, fight. so this has come off of the back of another black hat, black hat presentation right. last week on Thursday. Well, Thursday the eighth of August. It may not be last week by the time you listen to the podcast. But Google's Maddie Stone, who's now a part of Google's Project Zero, um, gave a presentation to try and give some transparency towards the the kind of process that goes on behind the scenes at Google. Because I think it, it looks as though she's relatively recently become a Google Project Zeroer. Right. Um, before that, she was a security researcher for Google, looking at understanding um, the, the kind of malicious behavior of apps that are going onto the Google Play Store or apps that are included on, on mobile devices. So the really cool thing about that is that she knows about the process that goes into clearing up the malicious junk that ends up on a phone. Right. So this is what she talks about in, in, in her Black Hat talk. Okay. She's talking all about 
how you can reverse engineer an app, how they do it at Google and what they're looking for. So, um, and she talked about some of the, some of the cool, quite unique things that they found over that time. And, and then uh, eventually the thing that's kind of really been picked up upon in the media is some of the statistics that she gave. Um, firstly, she said on Android, uh, often it'll come with 100 to 400 pre-installed apps. Right. What? Yeah, 100. 400. 400, yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that is a huge amount of stuff that's no pre-installed on your phone. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's, that's part of the kind of OEM model of Android is that with these different uh, vendors that are selling the Android mobile phones, they've got the choice of including this extra stuff. It may be stuff to be able to tell how your users are using your phones. It's important to get marketing an analytics on your mobile platform so that you can improve it for future users. Um, the, the other thing, um, so, so that, that may be one of the apps that may be installed, something to t give them feedback on how their phone's being used. Now, um, the problem with pre-installed apps on phones is that it's really it's it's much more difficult difficult to remediate than one that's installed by yourself because um, as we've discussed before on this podcast yeah. or possibly series, series one of the podcast is that once when an app's pre-installed. Sometimes you don't have visibility of it. It may be headless. It may not may not have a uh, an application appear there on your phone. So when right. you go to even when you go to settings apps, yeah, it might not even show up in that list. There's a chance that it may not show up in that list. But and even if, if it is it does, in that list, you'll you won't you'll get a disable, not a delete, right? So you can't remove it. Even yeah, if you want to. yeah, I don't think it could be a headless, so it could not appear there in the list of apps that are installed on your phone. And also, what what I've noticed on my phone, I'm not going to mention the brand again because <laughs> firstly, I may mispronounce it, and secondly, it's quite embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but on my phone, there are quite a few pre-installed apps that you can't disable and you can't you can't delete from the phone. So the pre-installed apps, you quite often you can't uninstall them from the device. They're That's just right because normally you go you go settings apps mm. and then you go into an app that you've installed. There's a delete or remove button. Yeah, yeah. And then if it's pre-installed, there might be a disable. Yeah. But sometimes the disable's grayed out and all you've got is force stop. Yeah. I'm understanding if you force stop, it just stops it temporarily in case there's a bug and at some future time, the system will restart it anyway. Well, like it will, if you st it will stop the service. So you can force stop that service from running. But but that service can also so there's a chance that the app is actually restarting that service based on an alarm. So they can configure right. an alarm that that says every two hours, then try and restart the phone. Or you can say based on um a f uh, based on a service that's running in 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 the cloud or something, or or based on some other service that's running on the phone. Start up when you when you have a broadcast receiver triggered, basically. So the phone will then the app will then start up as and when some other application triggers it to start up. For instance, WhatsApp, you don't see the service running there on the phone at all times, but suddenly you may receive a message and the cloud server will say, uh, you've got a message waiting waiting for you, at which point the service will pop up and say, you've got one message there. So that would be a broadcast receiver. Right. So um, what do you do if you've got all this bloatware? I mean, are you stuck? Is there a way to remove it or would you have to root your phone basically? So yeah, you could root your phone, and then there's a there's a way of just installing um, 
you know, a, a, a rooted version of Android. But then once again, that's not going through the same checks that a, that a, that a full version of Android is. Right. So, so you you may then get other bloatware on the phone that you're you're not considering um, in that situation. So the best thing to do is just force stop them, disable them. But but ultimately, one thing that that Maddie Stone talks about in her talk is uh, she speaks about the difference between. Um, uncertified devices and Android certified devices and the steps that each Android platform has to go through depending on whether they're a certified Android platform or not. Right. Um, so so if, if the Android um, version is certified, then it could be like a Samsung, for instance. She gives examples of Samsung is a certi- Android certified platform. But if something's just using Android open source projects and, and, and changing it slightly, um, then it's not going through the same level of certification. So it may well be that, that malicious apps are running on that device by default, but they're not being checked by these Google researchers when they're when they're um, OEMing that that right. uh, version of Android, so so uh, examples of that is is the Amazon uh, Fire tablet, for instance. That is an that is using the Android open source project versus the likes of Pixel, which or or, or a Samsung phone, which is using the official Android um, OS. So. Um, so what what she said what she she then mentioned what what they found basically in the time as an Andro- in her time as an Android security researcher which is something called now I'm going to butcher this name as I do with many names uh, but it's called Shamois I believe and this was she found well that the team that she was working in um, inclusive of her found that 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 was installed on 7.4 million devices in 2018 and this this is a really really complex android malware it's a really really complex form of android malware and it's a backdoor onto the device that that could essentially be um could essentially be used to trigger other apps to install, which could do anything. It could do any of number of things. It could turn your microphone on, could turn your camera on. It can, you know, listen into any conversation you've got. You can start receiving SMS because it could be any application which this goes to install. And this was pre-installed on the devices, bef- like straight out the box. Straight out the box. And do so we this- know which devices? It, no, we don't Irvinson. know which okay. devices it was installed on. Uh, it was just, it, but we do know it. It was on more than two hundred OEMs wow. of Android. Don't you so, think Google should be a bit stricter about who they license to then? If they're talking about a certified platform and yet you can have a you can have a Google Android device and two hundred different ones have got this seven million copies of the malware. I mean seven million downloads from the Play Store is a good result, but this is kind of baked into your phone forever. I think I think that's a bit of a harsh statement because it is these people have been duped into so these organisations have been duped into into pu- pushing this app out with the pre-installed apps on the phone. So so they have then the majority of them have then done a root cause analysis. How on earth did this happen? How did we how did we fall for this this organisation that have told us to to install this Shamwar as a backdoor on our phone? Yeah, and it turns out that Shamwar was just advertising itself as as being able to um, to to do so much more than it did. Yeah. So it was doing some sort of click fraud um, or, or enabling the install of click fraud, which is what was um, what was seen by the Google researchers. So presumably, the attraction but, to a gullible. OEM, not necessarily gullible, but 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 the, well, the one attraction- who doesn't take security seriously enough goes, hey, there's there's this cool thing that I can add into my phone which will give me more possibilities in the future. Well, but it- 
every OEM, everyone that's making an Android phone wants to know how they can improve their phone to be the next flagship model. Right. I think that's the aim of anyone, right? Yeah. At Sophos, we want to be the best antivirus. We want to have the best firewall out there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And in order to do that, you need to get user feedback to understand how users are using your product, what they're doing well, what they're not doing so well, how we can improve, where's the best place to improve to get the most impact. And it's the same on a mobile device as it is for right. us here mm. at Sophos. They want to know how they can best improve their platform to be the best platform out there. And that is, so that is essentially what this um, chamois was advertising itself as, a way of understanding your market, understanding how your devices were being used. And I'm pretty sure it probably gave them some form of feedback on on how the devices were being used. Mm. Unfortunately, it then did, did some extra stuff in the background. So don't get me wrong, they'd, they'd duped 200 OEMs into, into installing this product. And, and actually, if you, think about, if you think about it, from the attacker's point of view, they had to convince possibly 200 people or, or maybe mm. 200 groups of two or three people to install this app rather than thousands and thousands of users to install it. And that's something that, once again, this Maddie Stone brought up in her talk. Mm. So, um, so they, by convincing those two hundred phones, uh, two hundred uh, OEMs, they got installed onto seven point four million devices by March of twenty eighteen. Um, now, in July of twenty nineteen, um, the Google research team have said that they've got that down to only seven hundred devices that that's pre seven hundred thousand devices. Sorry, that that's pre-installed on <laughs> seven hundred would be good. <laughs> and these are all uncertified Android devices. Right. So any of the OEMs that are going through the Android certification are not having, they do not have this installed on right. those devices. So if you're going to an Android open source project device, it's going to be less secure than an Android official certified device. My understanding is that Google is trying to move towards a model in which even stuff that's pre-installed, following more of Apple's approach where there's a there's a core of stuff you can't remove, but even some of the so-called pre-installed apps, you can actually uninstall and then reinstall later if you want, but you can take them off your device and when you do so, it removes all the data as well. My understanding is that Google's moving a little bit more towards that with OEMs. So presumably, when you go into that settings apps, in as time goes on, there'll be more and more sort of bloatware apps that you can remove easily if you wish i don't i don't know if i'm honest but i mean that sounds like something that google would do yeah (laughs) it's a security focused feature that i'm sure that they'll look to implement in the future if it's not implemented that way means you can measure what's going on on your phone if you want but you so it isn't quite opt-in but at least it means that people who want to remove stuff perhaps to make room for songs or videos or other apps can do so yeah because i know that's a complaint we often hear on naked security from people who've bought an android device that's full of bloatware is not so much that well it could be badware it's just that i bought my phone to store things like my music and my photos on and it's full of this these apps that i'm never going to use i want to choose my apps and i want better control over it yeah so that would improve security at the same time so what can users do that are looking when, when you're looking for a new android phone what should you be looking for you should look for an android certified device right just you could probably Google "Is this" or use any search engine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is this is this <laughs> model point. of phone? Um, is this model of phone? This 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 model number of phone? Uh, yeah. Android Cert- certified. Okay. And cool. if it is, it goes through that rigorous testing procedure in order to get stuff out to you. And if it does come with some pre-installed badware, then that will likely be uninstalled by the OEM at some point. Okay. Cool. Working with Google. And you. 
for all that people go, oh, well, I don't really need an antivirus on my Google phone. Sophos Mobile Security for Android is nice. completely free. Yeah. And it does provide you with a way of vetting apps that you download, whether you sideload them, download them from off-market or from Google Play, but also has an option that lets you scan the system apps, the stuff that's already on your phone. Yeah. So if you want to, you can go and get a second opinion about yeah. the stuff that's on your phone yeah. in case something comes to light afterwards, mm. as seemed to happen in this yeah. ShamWare case. Well, as a base, you should make sure that Google Play Plus X services are switched on and then if you want to go above and beyond then that's where uh, Sophos mobile security comes in great thank you um, we've had some questions on social media Jackson Peter 160 asked what is the best way to go from high school graduate to cybersecurity employee the obvious answer is well you should go to college or university and study to be a cybersecurity guy that's a start not everyone wants to go to college not everyone can afford to do it but whether you do or not i think it's important to teach yourself uh in the background in other words if you, if you're really keen on cybersecurity, you can almost adopt it as a hobby as well as a potential job because you can have an awful lot of good, clean fun actually helping the community get ahead. And there are loads of free tools, free training suites out there, decent videos, um, lots of free reverse engineering tools, even one called Gehidra from no less than the NSA if you want to get into decompiling programs and all sorts of other tools that we've spoken about before. So basically just throw yourself into cybersecurity and join the community. There are plenty of us who could do with your help. Uh, so Chris Young. 2985 asked, what are the basics I should be explaining to someone about how to secure their online life? Two-factor authentication, ah. password manager. Yep. If you Plus use, one. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. If you use those two things, um, then then you should be, you should have a good base level of security online. Yeah. Okay. It's true, isn't it, that there are all kinds of clever things you can do. I'm going to stop this exploit. I'm going to run this amazing software, but actually... In very many cases, it's putting your password into the wrong website or choosing your cat's name because it was kind of convenient. You can see why people take those conveniences. A tiny bit of inconvenience, like a password manager, goes an awful long way. And the yeah. idea of a password manager is that you can it will store individual different passwords for each website won't it absolutely and it doesn't it can remember a 20 character random garbled thing just as easily as you can remember your cat's name and whether to put four five six or seven at yeah. the end of it and then if you use two-factor authentication even if they do get one of those passwords and try and get into one of those websites that you're you've got an account with yeah they're not going to be able to get onto it unless they also get your second token to authenticate to that website. Which is a lot harder to do. Which is difficult to do as well. Cool. And then Alan Arani said, do y'all expect mobile devices to play a stronger role in cybersecurity anytime soon? They certainly play an important role in cyber insecurity at the moment because we entrust so much to them. You know, can, can we use our mobile devices as an extra security feature in our lives? Absolutely. You just mentioned two-factor authentication. A mobile phone 
is a great way of having a, a kind of a, an authentication device with you, isn't it? You can run an app that generates those magic tokens that let you log in. They're different every time or that receives an SMS from a service like, say, Facebook, where you're trying to log in on your laptop. You get an SMS to your phone and you have to put that code back in on your laptop. Yep. It's a minor inconvenience, but because the phone and the laptop are separate devices or because there are now two stages to the login, it does make it harder. So mobile phone provided that you put a decent lock code on it, it can be a surprisingly secure device for keeping secrets like your password manager or your two-factor authentication tokens that go with the rest of your digital life, including your life at work. Thanks, everyone. Matt, where are you Thanks, on Anna. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. No worries. Where can we find you on social media? You can find me at InfoSecBody. On Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for finishing my sentence. I no worries, Paul Ducklin. I am at P Ducklin on Instagram and I am at Duckblog on the Twitter. You should uh, think about consolidating your brand into one username. I'm at Anna Brady on... On that bombshell. <laughs> Just a bit of marketing advice there for you. <laughs> I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter and we're at Naked Security on all the platforms. All the platforms. Look at uh, that consolidation. Thank you to Alice, our podcast producer, who has looked interested throughout the whole of this podcast. Huzzah! <laughs> it's a skill of mine to just show how interested I am. <laughs> It's great. Remember, you can tweet us at Naked Security or ask us on Instagram with suggestions or questions for the podcast, or you can email us at tips at sophos.com. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.